Old Testament lesson is from Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, found on page 559 of your Pew Bible. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading for this day is 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 18. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because so this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. So we are in 1 Peter this morning. Uh, And 1 Peter takes us into some dangerous territory. Uh, To tell you the truth, I was not very excited to preach about it because it includes things like 
slaves submit to your masters and wives submit to your husbands, and then the icing on the cake, women are the weaker vessel. Uh, <laughs> but uh, as I have said before, uh, the solution to our problems with the Bible is not less Bible but more, um, and such is true with these. So since I know that some of you have some of the same sticking points that I do with Scripture, uh, we're going to spend a little time dealing with those struggles, uh, and then we're going to move on to what the book is really about, which is kind of how to live when you're suffering. So first, the struggles. Um, First Peter is written to Christians who are undergoing persecution, and we don't know whether it is persecution... um, like official persecution from the government, or whether it's persecution, like the persecution of a neighbor who really hates the way you live and is not afraid to tell you about it. Um, But either way, it seems that the Christians are suffering quite a lot because of their faith, specifically. And that's because their faith requires them to step out of some of the cultural norms of their society, they can no longer participate in the worship of the Roman gods, and that permeated their lives. That would have and did ostracize the Christians significantly. So one of the points that Peter is making in this text is that they should try and fit in in the places where they can. They are liberated, and Jesus is their one and only Lord, not Caesar, not any other god. But they shouldn't use that freedom to further alienate their neighbors. Instead, they should love and serve them so intently that it speaks loudly of the goodness of their God. So in one way, it's actually just practical advice. People who are kind, or people are generally kind to people who are kind. So it will keep them safe. But it also becomes a witness to the generosity of their God who loved and served and saved God's own enemies. That kind of stepping outside of the cultural norms is particularly problematic if you are a slave or a woman. Because you are expected to worship the gods of your patriarch. That's the man who is in charge of the household. And refusing to do something your patriarch wanted you to do would put you in danger. And women and slaves don't have the same resources, well, they don't have any resources, really, or any power to step out of a bad situation. And so in the beginning of chapter 3, Peter counsels slaves and women in particular to submit in whatever ways they can. It will keep them safer, and it is a way to proclaim the goodness of God, who is generous even when it hurts, like the cross. Peter then moves on to counsel Christian husbands uh, to be particularly considerate of their wives, who are the weaker vessel, or because they are the weaker vessel, which is, you know, on its own and out of the context of the book sounds kind of terrible, but uh, here it means that when you're under persecution that women are generally physically weaker and they have less rights and resources. The persecution is harder for them. It bears more heavily on them. And so Peter asks them to be extra considerate of their wives. 
Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases that passage like this. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor, honor them. Delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages. But in the new life in God's grace, you're equals. Treat your wives then as equals so your prayers don't run aground. Like we keep coming back to the importance of context, right? If you just read those verses all by themselves, you can draw all sorts of things from them. But if you read the whole book and you understand the cultural context, it actually reads pretty clearly. And it turns out it's not that bad at all. It's actually kind of beautiful. It's a text about privilege. Okay, so hopefully I've rescued First Peter for some of you who are struggling or didn't want to read it because you knew what was there. Uh, if I haven't, you can come talk to me after and we'll work it out. Uh, okay, but as you may have picked up, like a lot of, it's really unfortunate that we have to talk about that stuff because then we have to miss the context. Like we have to miss what First Peter's actually about. Um, like often the whole sermon will be about this one little text and like how we should order our lives around it or how we shouldn't order our lives around it. And we miss what it's really about. Um, and it's not really about like what slaves and wives and husbands should do in general. But it is about how to live as a Christian when you are facing persecution. Uh, which doesn't have a ton to do with us, right? We're not facing persecution for the most part. Um, you know, in Canada, maybe I'd get a side eye when I said I was a Christian because there weren't, there weren't as many. Uh, but here in the United States, um, Christianity is the most powerful religion. That's true in Canada too. But Christianity is the most powerful religion. So being a Christian actually comes with certain advantages. Like you get Christmas off. Uh, it's like the government mandates it. Um, we're much more likely actually to be the ones who are persecuting people of other faiths, which is pretty sad. Uh, especially when we read texts like this and know uh, that Christians have so often been, and even now are in other places on the other side of that. I did think, however, when as I was writing this, that uh, those Christians who identify as LGBTQ+, I think they are actually persecuted because of their faith. Um, for those of, those of you uh, who would identify in that way, I would imagine that there are a lot of things in your life that would be quite a bit easier if you were not so persistent in your faith. And so maybe the words of 1 Peter will apply a little more directly to you. I'm so sorry if that is the case for you. And I'm super glad you're here. I bet you know the pressure to be the best Christian ever, just so that someone will say that your faith is real. I hope that you particularly find comfort in Peter's words this morning. Um, for all of us, though, whether that's the case for us or not, I think we can also apply what Peter has to say to whatever suffering we are facing. Um, not everything, is, is, is direct, but a lot of it I think we can still hear for whatever we're suffering. Um, and I have four points I want to make, partly out of the text that we read this morning and partly kind of in the general themes of First Peter, um, though I think the themes run through 
the themes of our text run through the book pretty uh, consistently. Uh, this is not all that Peter has to say, but it's what we've got this morning. So, uh, first, virtue minimizes suffering. I kind of already uh, touched on that. It's like super practical, and I was actually kind of surprised to find it in First Peter, because usually it seems like we want to spiritualize everything. Um, but it really is there. It runs right through the letter. Verse 13 that we read, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Uh, it's a rhetorical question, and the answer is that you're supposed to assume is no. Nobody. No one's going to harm you. Um, people don't generally harm people when they are trying to do good. Uh, it's not true all the time, but it's true a lot, right? Like, even people who are, you know, kind of bad people will often protect people that they see as doing good in their community or for their family or whatever. Um, it's not true all the time, but it is generally true. Uh, and then, and then, in another way, doing good has the effect of easing uh, even less direct kinds of suffering, right? So if you are struggling with loneliness, you may find that if you focus your attention on what you can give, that your loneliness eases. Um, partly because your perspective changes, you know, you're just focusing on a different thing, but also partly because people give more time and attention to those who give to them. So, like, very practically, virtue minimizes suffering. Second, uh, even when you are suffering, your job as a Christian is always, always, always the same. You love God and you love neighbor. That's like one of the wonderfully relieving parts of the Christian life. No matter what is happening for you, no matter your circumstances, your job never changes. So Paul goes on in verse 14, he says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, so like even if your virtue doesn't protect you, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Just keep your focus on Jesus. When everything is going well, love God and love neighbor, and when everything hits the fan, as it were, love God and love neighbor. And sometimes it's hard to figure out exactly what that means in your circumstances, but is it ever a relief that the task never changes? Even if the worst thing that you can imagine happens to you, it's still the same. Love God and love neighbor. You always keep your eyes on Jesus and let that govern how you behave. If people are kind to you, you love. But not because of their kindness. You love, first of all, because of Jesus' kindness. And so then if people are mean to you, you still love. Because their behavior does not dictate yours. Jesus' behavior dictates yours. And Jesus is kind. Verse 17 says, For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. 
And Jesus suffered under people's meanness for your sake and for theirs. So you follow his example. And I always want to bring in this caveat, that does not mean that you should stay in a harmful or abusive relationship um, or situation. Like, please don't hear that. It's actually loving to step away from someone's violence. They are not served by being able to continually harm you. You can love and set firm boundaries at the same time. Sometimes your love requires those boundaries. Sometimes it requires other things. But the job is always the same. Love God, love neighbor, no matter where you find yourself. Third, number three. In the midst of your pain, whatever kind of pain it is, remember God's promises and take comfort there. This is one of the main themes in 1 Peter. Our life now is not the only thing that we are living for. It is, this, it is that future hope that allows us to take on suffering now, even to rest in it, because we know that something different, something better, is coming. We are waiting for a time when all things will be made right. This world is often so hard, but whatever we face now, it is not the end. There will come a time when the peace that is promised us will come in full. When there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. When the old order of things will pass away. Our God is making all things new. And when life hurts, remember that our God is bringing a new thing when all hearts will be healed and made whole. Um, Lately, I've been practicing contemplative prayer, uh, which it's a strange kind of prayer. If you don't know what it is, it's kind of strange. You don't say anything, uh, and you don't even really try and listen. (laughs) You pay attention to the the withness. Um, you pay attention to the presence of God with you, sort of like the space between you, that you are with one another. Um, and part of contemplative prayer is that you are consenting to whatever God might do in and around you, even if you don't know or understand it. Um, it's like a practice in accepting whatever God brings and relinquishing control over those things. Um, And I am learning that it helps me to suffer because I can remember that the work in the world is not my work, but it is God's. And I can trust that God will bring it to completion, even if I don't get it. Which I think when we suffer, that is one of the major components, right? That we just don't get it. Um, Like, why is this happening to me? When is it going to end? What is even happening to me? Um, But there is space for us to rest in that we don't have to know or understand. We can wait through it knowing that God is doing things beyond our understanding and control. 
Um, and lastly, fourth, remember Jesus' suffering. Um, in some way that I don't really understand, and I think probably won't until the kingdom come, our pain is taken up into God's redemption of this world. Our suffering participates in Jesus' suffering. In whatever we go through in this life, whatever difficulty we face, we stand alongside Jesus in it. Like, are you angry at the state of the world, grieving the way things are? So is Jesus. He was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. Are you watching those you love make decisions you wish they would not make? So did Jesus. Still does every day. Are you misunderstood? So was Jesus. They called him a king, a prophet, a teacher, a sinner, a glutton, a drunkard. They said he came from the devil. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Have you been abandoned by those you love most? Betrayed? So was Jesus. Family and friends, all of them turned on him at one point or another. Are you stressed or afraid? So is Jesus, sweating blood in the garden over all he would face. Are you bearing the consequence of sin? So did Jesus for the sins of the whole world. Are you despairing? So even did Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Walking through suffering is one way that we walk with Jesus. And nothing that we do in love is wasted. It is all gathered up. In a sinful world, uh, to love is to suffer. Right? Not all the time. There's plenty of joy and delight in it. There's so much goodness and so much to be grateful for. But we all know that all of our love is always really tinged with conflict, with longing, with pain, with loss, or the fear of those things. It wasn't meant to be this way, right? Love was meant to be whole. Which is why we, working to live as God's people in God's kingdom, we strive to live lives of love. Right? We pursue, we seek peace and pursue it, as the text says. Empathetic, compassionate, humble, repaying evil with blessing. We are committed to love. But because this world is broken, that means that we will suffer. Just like Jesus did. And through First Peter, um, Peter continually puts our suffering in the context of Jesus' suffering. Later in chapter 4, Peter will say, Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. In some way, we can find our own grief right in the heart of Jesus. Jesus suffered because of love, bearing the full brunt of a broken and sinful world, and his suffering love is our life and our salvation. It's our hope. 
and somehow, in some way, we join Jesus in that good work as we too suffer in love, awaiting the day when all will be made right. And that future kingdom that we wait for is always reaching back into now, sometimes to relieve our suffering, to set us free from it, and sometimes to fill it with the grace and the glory of God, to make it part of the coming wholeness that we wait for. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray for all of us here who grieve or struggle or wait or battle mental illness. Lord, we, uh, we bring our grief before you. And we pray that we would find ourselves gathered up into you. That our griefs would be yours and we would know you in it. And Lord, that it would not be in vain. But that you would somehow transform it as you renew all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.